0: What we are going to discuss tonight. The Paris Commune of 1871 had been in fact one of the greatest and most inspiring episode, episodes in the history of the working class and in fact as Jack just said of the whole human history. In a tremendous revolutionary movement, the working people of Paris replaced the capitalist state with their own organs of government and held political power until, unfortunately, they were butchered by the bourgeois government and the bourgeois army. But the lessons of these events are still of fundamental importance for socialists today. But they're not very well known, especially among the youth, even in France, in fact. In schools and universities, the Paris Commune is only mentioned in passing as a kind of uh, a side note to bigger events. That is, the history of the new ministers, and new bourgeois governments, <clears throat> and all of this. Paris Commune is just a little thing that do not deserve to be taught to children and workers. This should not surprise us. Because history is written by the victors, and they have a direct interest in that the workers and youth remain ignorant of their own history, the history of their class, and the history of the revolutionary movement of 1817-1871. Of how this movement, in its last part, brought the workers of Paris to power and overthrew the capitalist state in the capital. The history of these 10 weeks during which workers were the masters of society, during which in extremely difficult circumstances, they tried to put an end to exploitation, oppression, and to reorganize society on entirely new foundations. All these events are rich in lessons lessons of fundamental importance for the contemporary labor movement for in fact for all those who aspire to change society and it had been understood already at the time because marxism it is not something that came out of the head of marx in a completed ready uh, ready to use form in 1848 marx and engels dedicated a lot of effort throughout their lives to understand and analyze situation. And at the time, they dedicated a lot of time to understand what was going on in France. And they wrote a full report on the situation and the import, importance of this revolution on the behalf of the first international, a book called Civil War in France. And this is a book well read, is republishing today. And the commune gave gave Very important and, uh, uh, excuse me, a very important understanding for Marx and Engels of the main characteristics of the future socialist society, of what a, um, a worker state will look like. In fact, it was not until the concrete experience of the commune that Marx and Engels were able to develop their theory of the state. And on this topic, a whole chapter of Lenin's book on state and revolution is dedicated to the experience of the Paris Commune, because before 1970, Paris Commune was the only time in history when workers took power into their hands and began to build their own state and their own power and their own society. But to understand it, it's necessary to go back a little uh, while in time. Not too long, I reassure you. We will only uh, go back briefly 20 years before the event of the Paris Commune. In fact, we will go back to the military coup of the 2nd of December 1851, which brought uh, Napoleon III to power. This coup was following the failed appraising the Parisian working class of June 1848. And the new regime of Napoleon III seemed at first unshakable, unbreakable, going to build to last because the workers had been beaten and severely beaten. The organization were outlawed. Uh, the state and the police were all powerful, but in the late 1860s, a lot of uh, different factors came in. Economic boom began to exhaust, as wars led by the regime in, uh, overseas and the resurgence of the labor, mo- labor movement. All these factors weakened seriously the imperial regime, We began to feel the ground under its feet to shake. From its point of view, only a new war and a quick one ended by victory could delay its collapse. So in July of 1870, Napoleon III declared war on Prussia, a country that was then led by Bismarck. And this, in fact, will not save his re- the regime of Napoleon III, but put the seals to its end. Often war leads to revolution and this is not an accidental thing because uh, as we've seen with the 19 for, in 1914 and in other times, the war, it, it suddenly tears people out of the routine of their daily lives and throws them violently into the arena of historical events. It forces them to consider much more carefully in time of peace, what their leaders, what the head of state, what generals, what the politicians are doing. And this is even more true in the case of a defeat. And the attempted invasion of Germany by Napoleon III was not only a defeat, but it was complete disaster. Because on the 2nd of September, near Sedan, the emperor himself was captured by the German army, along with tens of thousands of soldiers. As soon as the news came in Paris, there was massive demonstration that filled the boulevard of the capital, demanding for the overthrow of the Empire and the proclamation of a democratic republic. And these events of the fourth of September eighteen seventy marked the beginning of the revolution that was going to last for a long time till the end of the Paris Commune. At the time, in September, the Republican opposition, moderate bourgeois Republicans, were terrified by this movement. They were, in in fact, more afraid of the people than they were of Napoleon or of the German army. And the truth is that they were forced to proclaim a republic on the 4th of September. And so a national defense government was installed, composed of bourgeois politicians, because this climbed to power more easily. Because bourgeoisie in a capitalist state, in a capitalist society, is always in the corridors of the power in a bourgeois state. So when a dictatorship falls, the bourgeois are, are always federalized to take power in their hands and even more so when the workers own leaders are paralyzed and this was the case in September 1870 and it is necessary to talk a little bit about a man Auguste Blanqui and his followers because he was the most respected leaders the leader with the most political authority of the world French socialist movement at the time but he was in jail in September 1870, because he had attempted to overthrow the Bonaparte regime earlier, during the spring of 1870, even before the beginnings of the war. And Blanqui was a kind of uh, an interloper in the French socialist movement at the time. He was a revolutionary, and a dedicated one, and a critic of the reformism of Proudhon and such, but he was a a, a weird one, as he was opposed to vast movements, vast mobilization, vast uh, entry into action of the masses. For Blanqui and all his followers, revolution, in fact, was more like uh, a coup. Secret cells of armed revolutionaries getting out of the caves, of the uh, underground uh, caves, into action according to a secret plan to take over city hall, military barracks. And then, when they took it, they proclaimed socialism, and everything was done. And then, oppression will disappear. It was, in fact, a very naive way of thinking. But nonetheless, Blanqui invested all of his life in the struggle. He spent most of his lifetime in jail, And this uh, gave him a very, uh, a lot of respect from the working class, from the socialist movement. But on the bad side, he missed almost all of the great struggle of the French working class, because at each time the working class uh, uh, get into action, he was already out of the scene because himself, Gone, was, uh, were gone into action earlier, too early, in fact. And nonetheless, his followers will play kind of a leading role in the commune and in a big part of the 1870-1871 revolution. And some of them, afterward, will even move towards Marxism or the kind of uh, mechanical uh, version of Marxism will uh, be introduced in the French workers' movement in the 1880s. But back to the September, September Revolution. With the German threat still on and German armies still marching into France, the government, as I said, proclaimed itself of national defense. But in fact, as soon as it was put in power, it was preparing itself to capitulate as soon as possible and even to restore monarchy, to put a new Bourbon king on the throne of France. Because the bourgeois were confronted to a dilemma. German armies were threatening Paris in the whole country, but the only way to defend it with Napoleon's army beaten and dispersed would have been to arm the people on a massive scale. And this was unacceptable for the French bourgeoisie. It was a life or death question. And it was even more a life or death question, as in Paris, a whole section of the working class was already armed and organized inside what was known at the time as the Garde Nationale, the National Guard. This is a bit uh, awkward because this militia, the Garde Nationale, was formed at first during the French Revolution of uh, 1789, more as a counter-revolutionary force. It was formed of bourgeois volunteers, and it was supposed to be used to suppress and to quell uh, working class and poor uh, parts of the the population in the great cities. It was used in Paris to suppress uh, workers' uprisings in 1831, in 1848, and again in 1851, but with the September Revolution and the beginning of the war a great number, a big number of Parisian workers joined the Garde Nationale as volunteers and they came with their ideas, with their habits, they took from the workers' movement and notably the habit to elect leadership. So the officers of the Garde Nationale began to be elected and to feel themselves and to be, in fact, responsible to their men. And as time passed, the Garde Nationale became very fast a kind of autonomous armed organization of the proletariat of Paris. And it even gave itself a political leadership as, during the fall, a central committee the Comité central de la Garde Nationale de Paris, was elected to uh, represent the wall of the Garde Nationale inside of the capital. This central committee was composed mainly of revolutionaries, but a big majority of them were kind of blocked in the past. They had their head. trapped in memories of the Great Revolution of 1792, 1793, Robespierre, Marat, Les Jacobins, all these things, and not in the true situation of 1870, 1871. You had also also a big minority of Blanquists and a very small minority of members of the first international, but most of them were in fact followers of Proudhon, and this reformist outlook, and you saw you have only a tiny, very tiny number of followers of Marx and Engels. But what needs to be um, stressed is that all of these groups uh, had, in fact, no organization. You had no revolutionary party, no true (coughs) revolutionary organization dedicating itself to spread slogans, tactics, explain to the masses what was to be done, what was to be understood, and what was the situation, in fact. And the Central Committee and the Guard National were functioning in a kind of always improvised way. But nevertheless, from the fall, this Central Committee of the the Guard National became a counterweight to the bourgeois government, in an example of uh, limited dual power, limited because it was confined inside of the capital, inside of Paris. But for the bourgeoisie, this was nonetheless unacceptable. So in order to solve this problem, the fact that the workers armed themselves and were organizing themselves, the government was in fact ready to let the Parisian workers suffer and fight to defeat, and then to negotiate a gentleman's peace with the German. So, when in, in mid-September, the German armies began to uh, put Paris under siege, nothing was done by the bourgeois government and its armies to stop them. In fact, you had at the time a a full army of 120,000 men were staying quiet, because their commanders were, in fact, negotiating with the Germans the authorization to cross the line to go uh, suppress the Parisian garde nationale uh, to organize, organizing, and it was the German who refused. So these heroic bourgeois generals and their men surrendered without a fight. Instead of defending the capital and the country, this situation, the siege of Paris, was long and bloody. It lasted from September till the end of January, and it caused approximately maybe 47,000 dead. People were starving to death, rich people were eating uh, the elephants of the zoo of Paris, while the poor, who were lucky, were buying to very expensive prices rat meat. And the whole situation was a long period of suffering for the Parisian working class, during which French generals were refusing to go on the offensive. Maybe the only victories of the French army during this war were, in fact, uh, the fruit of an army led by the Italian revolutionary Garibaldi, who bypassed the orders of his French superiors and fought, pushed back the Germans in the upper Rhône valley. And this is a thing that needs to be stressed that is, as soon as a revolution arised in France and put a republic in in place, you had revolutionaries from the whole of Europe coming and trying to support it. But with the only exception of Garibaldi, that was too famous to be pushed back by the government, all these revolutionaries were pushed back by the bourgeois government, and some were even arrested as dangerous socialists when they came to offer the service to the Republic. During this time in Paris, General Trochu, the chief of the defense, refusing was refusing to order a breakout because he was fearing that a victory and the lifting of the siege would benefit politically to the National Guard. And when, in January, he finally ordered one, it was only with Guard national troops on the front and without any EV support from the army. And as he had planned, this was a failure that he used in, in uh, after while to promote the necessity of a peace, of a truce, of, in fact, a capitulation. And confronted with to this situation, the most radical elements of the Parisian workers were losing patience. And two times, the first on the, follow, on the 31st of October, you had uprising of workers and Garde Nationale. On October, they were led by a follower of Blanqui, a man named Gustave Florence, and another one who was a member of the First International, Etienne de l'Ecluse. And in the two times, the uprising were quelled off and repressed. But each time the government, following the, the uprisings, provocate, In fact, uh, was accumulating provocation to the Parisian working class. In November, for instance, commander of the National Guard, who was deemed too soft on the rebels, was on the National Guard, was replaced by a, by a man uh, very well known of the Parisian workers, General Clément Thomas who was known to be the main organizer of the repression of June 1838, during which between 4,000 to 6,000 workers were killed, including 1,500 uh, 1, who were executed after the battle. So all this were in fact an act of provocation to the war- Parisian working class. but. Another consequence is that all these uprisings were, in fact, too early, was, in fact, uh, premature, led the Blanquist leaders either to go underground or to be arrested. So during the first days of the commune, most of the uh, most um, uh, dedicated and most uh, active uh, uh, workers' leaders were not there. We are not in Paris or we're in jail, we are unable in fact to play a leadership role. In fact, at the end of January 1871, after um, six or seven months of, si- of siege and a lost war, the government signed a truce on Bismarck's terms. That was the loss of Alsace and Lorraine to Germany to Germany payment of all the costs of the war by France, and, even more humiliating, the quick election of a national assembly to sign the peace treaty. Because Bismarck didn't didn't want the peace treaty to be signed by a non-elected government, because he wanted this peace treaty to be seen as legitimate. And the government accepted to organize elections on a few days' notice, in a country occupied by a foreign army, on a topic that was not known or not well known by most of the voters, in such condition, and in fact a reflect of the backward state of French countryside, election gave a big majority to the the rural, to the rurals, uh, peasants, and uh, landowners, and Politically, to the monarchist. And it is this National Assembly that will name a new government led by Adolphe Thiers, a lifetime opportunist and monarchist. And it is this government and this National Assembly who will be a kind of uh, focal point for the whole counter revolutionary forces in France. The peace treaty was signed. the government turned itself toward Paris, turned itself to the task of disarming the working class. And this was even more necessary for the bourgeoisie because the peace treaty had had a kind of curious effect because during the war popular collections in workers' neighborhoods in Paris were used to pay uh, for cannons for the Garde Nationale. But when the peace treaty was signed, all the cannons and the artillery belonging to the regular army. They were se- seized by the German Germans, but the cannons of the Garde Nationale were left in the possession of the Garde as its kind of private property. So at the time, the only heavy weapons in Paris, in the capital, were under the control of the working class and not of the bourgeois government. And this was uh, not acceptable by the government. So an operation was devised to seize these cannons, disarm the National Guard, and uh, be a uh, revolutionary movement. On the eve of the 18th of March, so 150 years ago, all revolutionary leaders were supposed to be arrested if they had uh, escaped to Arrest. And an armed force of soldiers and gendarmes was supposed to go into Paris to seize the cannon of the Garde Nationale, who was uh, uh, guard on the Butte-Montmartre. All the Arrest side went as planned. But in Paris, things were a bit more complicated, because the planners of the operation didn't think to bring enough uh, harnesses for the horse to carry the guns, to carry the cannons. So having shot the sentries, the Guard National, soldiers stand there in the middle of a worker's neighborhood by night, trying to pull the guns, the cannons, by hand. So visualize uh, the scene. Uh, The dawn is coming, The workers rise. They see uh, through the windows what is going on. The army is trying to steal their weapons, their guns, their cannons, that they pay for with their own money, with their own savings. So get out. a crowd assembled, began to discuss with the troops, with the gendarme, arguing with them, uh, telling them not to take the cannons. They are ours. We pay for it. Meanwhile, the Garde Nationale regroup its force, come on the Butte Montmartre in battle formations. Meanwhile, the, uh, women, children, workers discuss, argue. General Lecomte, commander of the wall operation, is frightened. He orders his soldiers to shoot, to shoot on the crowd, to disperse it with live fire. Soldiers hesitate, they stand still, they don't shoot. Le Comte gave the order again, and a third time, and a fourth. And at this point, the soldiers move. They turn back. They catch him, they catch General Le Comte. They put his back on the nearest wall, and they shot him. They joined the revolution. They joined, in fact, the Guard National. And while they were at it, they also put on the wall Clément Thomas, the monarchist commander of the National Guard and Butcher of 48, I talked about earlier. Because you see, he was spying in a civil disguise to help the stealing of the cannon and was discovered by workers who had a good memory of 48. And so the revolution began. As soon as the new came to the government, Adolphe Thiers and the whole government fled Paris, fled to Versailles, the former capital of the bourgeois of the, pardon, of, the, um, of the monarchy. They were soon joined by the National Assembly, and a few days after, by a big part of the bourgeoisie, by a big part of the richest uh, Parisian. And at this time, the power in Paris fell into the hands of the Comité Central, of the Guard National Central Committee, but they didn't know what to do with it, in fact, and they immediately began to try to get away to give it to someone else. So they concentrated on the coming municipal elections of the 26th of March, hoping that these elections will put a power that they will put in place a power they could give authority to, and they will not have anything to do afterward. It was a big mistake because they lost a precious time. They should have concentrated on Thiers and his government, who was concentrating all forces of reaction in Versailles and was also taking this time to liquidate, murder, all the small uprising in other cities. Because it is a thing that is not always uh, known, but in Lyon, in Toulouse, in Marseille, you had... uh, small uprising in solidarity with the commune, but they were uh, crushed in a few days. And what the CC and the Garde Nationale should have done was to, uh, would have been to rush after Thiers, to crush the counter-revolution nest in Versailles, but they were not serious, they were hesitating. On their side, Thiers and the bourgeois were not wasting time. On the 21st of March, they took over the four Valerien who overwatched Paris and can be used to shell it with Artillery. Communal didn't even the Communal leadership didn't even took the time or interested itself to defend it. So the Versailles troop, the Thiers troop, took it without a fight. And as he needed troop, Thiers turned himself to Bismarck, turned turned sorry, to Bismarck and asked him to release prisoners to help crush Paris. Bismarck accepted, but he asked for money in exchange. So Thiers, Thiers rose the national debt to pay for his mercenaries. Thanks to it, he, he soon had 130,000 strong army, composed mainly of selected soldiers from prison background Coming from the most backward place of France, Catholic Brittany and Vendée, and all this backward rural uh, countryside. Meanwhile, in Paris, the twenty sixth of March elections were organized and they gave an overwhelming majority to the revolution. Newly elected delegates formed what is known as the Conseil de la Commune was to be, in fact, for these 10 weeks of the existence of the Paris Commune, the revolutionary government of Paris. And for Marx, this, the Paris Commune, was the first worker state of history. It was different from a normal state that is placed above society by the ruling class to defend its its interest. The members of the Commune were not to be paid more than skilled workers. They were to be responsible in front of their their voters. They were to be revocable, in fact, by their own voters. There were to be no more separation of powers, which only as meaning in a bourgeois state, because the true power is not in the assembly or in the corridors of the Senate, but in the administrative councils of the corporations and banks. Instead, the commune concentrated its power, all its powers under the control of the working class and the permanent army that the bourgeois government tried to use to crush the working class was replaced by the people in arms, the arming of the whole people on a voluntary basis. And this worker state put in place a whole set of social and economic measures. Moratory on rent, uh, separation between church and state, facilitation of divorce, a full uh, literary uh, sorry, a struggle against illiteracy, and also something that is often forgotten. They began to organize a collectivization of the factories that were abandoned by their owners and to organize a kind of centralized organization of the economy inside of the city. And it was also an international state. Every worker was given full political rights, whatever his origins. And foreigners were given high posts in uh, the Paris Commune. The Hungarian-born Leo Frankl became delegate to labor. Polish revolutionary Jaroslav Dombrowski became even the head of the Commune army in early May of 1871, and you have a wall out of German activists, uh, Italian revolutionaries, etc. in the, in the wall in the wall of the Paris Commune. But unfortunately, all these measures and all the dreams and the discussions of the Parisian working class were was threatened by the counter-revolution amassing forces in Versailles, and a few minority of the leaders of the commune were conscious of this fact. They were a minority because most of the leadership, after the first day, first week, were hoping, was hoping for a compromise, a kind of uh, compromise with the government and Thier. And these leaders even refused to take over the Banque de France, the thing that Marx stressed as a big mistake, a symbolic mistake. And the Banque de France, the bourgeois central bank, even during the Commune, even as his, his uh, siege was in Paris, his, its headquarters was in Paris, it continued to pay the salaries of the servants, civil servants, and militaries, and generals and ministers of the tier government. And the leadership of the Commune at the time, was hoping for a compromise that would have given Paris a kind of autonomy to experiment a socialist utopia, while the government would have the authority over the rest of the country. But such compromise was pure utopia, as the bourgeois state and the bourgeois class cannot let the worker state alive. And some leaders were more resolute. Gustave Florence whom I've talked about earlier, about the October uprising. He was freed from prison after a few days, and he was pushing at the time for an offensive because he understood that if Versailles was not crushed by the working class, it, va- it was the bourgeoisie and Versailles that would crush Paris. And he and others succeeded to push back the idea of a compromise and gain a majority on this topic. But unfortunately, it was too late. On the 3rd of April, when the offensive began against Versailles, it was doomed to failure because the Versailles army had had a lot of time to prepare for the defense. So the communards were defeated, forced to retreat inside Paris. Florence himself was captured and was shot on the spot by Versailles troops, as well as numerous prisoners and leaders. And this gave the tone for what was coming because what had begun was a civil war between classes. This is one of the times during which the bourgeoisie let uh, a civilized mask of culture, progress, civilization, slip to reveal a true face, a fighting and biting face of a slave owner willing to do everything it can to suppress its slaves' uprising. At contrario, the commune leaders, they were totally lacking of resolution. When they were confronted to the murders and the execution of the uh, Versailles bourgeois army, they passed a decree calling for the execution of bourgeois hostages if prisoners were to be shot again by the bourgeois army but they never implemented this decree. So the bourgeois government called the bluff off and continued to shut prisoners en masse. And in fact, from mid-April onward, the war became the main focus of the commune. Paris resisted during more than a month to continuous attacks and shillings until on the 21st of May, the betrayal opened the west of the city, the bourgeois neighborhood, neighbourhoods, to the Versailles army. From then on, from the 21st to the 28th of May, it is what is called the La semaine sanglante, the Bloody Week. And the title of the song we put at the beginning. It was in fact the conquest of French, of France's capital by French bourgeois army against its own population, against its own working class. The bourgeoisie army was forced to conquer Paris, neighborhood by neighborhood, and in, in some cases even street by street, house by house. By house. And the last communards, they were not ready to let it down. They were not ready to surrender. The wall of uh, one kind of uh, communard figure, archetypal figure of this period, is what, we, what is known in France as the petroleuses, working class women fighting with uh, cans of uh, oil, of uh, petrol, to burn the city instead of, surrender, of surrendering, to burn themselves with the city instead of letting it go. Last communards, they fought on Montmartre along the graves of the Père Lachaise cemetery. And after surrendering, all these fighters were shot by the Versailles against what is now, know, now known as the Mur des Federés, the f- Mur of the Communard, wall of the Communard, sorry. The bourgeoisie was frightened, had been frightened, so it unleashed a revenge on the working class. Between fifteen thousand to thirty thousand people were killed during this last week of the Commune. In some cases, prisoners were shot with machine guns or grapeshot shot from cannons to go faster, to go quicker in the liquidation of the heads of the revolution. Being in the street near a barricade or looking too smart while prisoner was enough to get shot. Leaders were forced into exile when when they survived the massacre. The French workers' movement was beheaded, And the bourgeoisie was thinking, It was quiet for a long time, but it was not. The workers' struggle cannot be suppressed indefinitely. Workers' movement in France rose its head again. And in fact, as long as class society will exist, workers will fight to destroy it. And if the lessons of 1871 are known to the labor movement and are correctly put into practice, one day, not so long ago, the commune will bloom again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.